1: Hello and welcome to The Pratchett Podcast, episode 34. This is the one that was, well i say this, this one was originally recorded on March the 12th, um, just before the news broke. So, up, up, first of all, before the podcast in all earnest starts, i've got a uh, I've got Reese's tribute, which wasn't in the tribute episode, and then I've got the piece from um from Australia so
0: um
1: first of all here's Reese
0: hello listeners it is I Reese here to give you my thoughts on well the wonderful Terry Pratchett. And before I start, I would like to say two things. One, usually I record with a microphone plugged into my MacBook Pro, but right now I don't have access to that microphone, so I'm using the internal microphone on the MacBook. So the difference in audio quality is because of that, but it's a necessity. Sadly, I can't get that microphone, so this is the best that I can do. I hope you don't mind. And also, um, I hope you're not made more upset because of this uh, tribute i know it's a sad time and a lot of us in a, are in a very fragile place because terry meant so much to us and if indeed you are more upset or it brings back some emotions that you've experienced when you found out um i apologize uh if you need help call a family member talk to a family member maybe call a helpline of some sort i, I know very much what uh, depression etc can uh, do to people because I have many friends who have depression and I recently actually have been diagnosed with it myself um, and not just depression just upset and trauma does a lot to people so if you need help don't be afraid to you know reach out for it contact a family member or contact a helpline or whatever just just don't sit there and you know suffer too much try and get help and I mean obviously there's some sadness we all have to get over and hopefully we will soon but yes Don't let me upset you anymore, and I apologise if I do at some point. Anyway, on to the tribute, I suppose, and I don't really know where to start, except to express my gratitude for the man, for his works, for his humour, for his wit, for his philosophy and his thoughts on the world and the metaphors he put into his books and the characters that he put into his books. The world he invented, the spoofs he wrote, whatever he did that brought me joy, I am grateful for. And especially when I found out from Neil Gaiman, not personally, we all found out from Neil Gaiman, in the foreword for the the short stories uh, collection, non-fiction collection that was released lately and that I got from a friend recently as a gift. I haven't read it yet, so I don't really know the title. But I have read the foreword because I was very interested in it but I'm especially grateful for the joy that he brought us and me personally when he felt so much anger, as we found out from Neil. And I'm just incredibly grateful that he, like Neil said, took that anger and made it the energy to write. And this reminds me, and I don't mean to start talking about another person who sadly left us, But it just reminds me of uh, Robin Williams, someone who brought so much joy to and changed so many people's childhoods or adolescence, even their twilight years, whatever. It brought joy to people, his work, and him. And then at the end of it, even though he had had that career, he was probably going to do another comedy tour or another comedy movie, and he had his family, he had everything you could have thought that he would have wanted, his depression, his sadness that he felt. Terry had the anger, Robin had the sadness. And the sadness that he felt was too much, and he decided to end it. Now, obviously, they're two different deaths. Two different sorts of deaths. Terry left us because his body gave away. It was old, and, you know, gave up the battle, which is fair enough. But I suppose Robin gave up a different sort of battle. And I'll get back to that, actually. But back to Terry. I'm sitting here, upset. I have been for a few days. But also, I'm starting to get back into the routine of everyday life, which, sadly, we have to do when... The inevitable comes for somebody that we care about, or know of, or respect. And so many other people are too. Fans on Twitter. Fans on YouTube. Fans, well, posting in the Pratchett Podcast Facebook group, Slash the Watch, or Discworld Monthly, or any other Discord group they might have, or just in their own personal timelines. But it's funny in a way, because even in his death, Terry Pratchett is still putting a smile on my face. Because... I can imagine him, because of a quote that I'm going to paraphrase here, because I don't remember the exact quote, but he said that the only sadness that's experienced when death comes is by those left behind. And I can imagine him if, for example, there's a heaven looking down upon us, or if he's a spirit, possibly sitting next to me, or sitting in the car with you. Hopefully I haven't just terrified a few of you. (laughs) But, you know, he's there with us, whilst we're grieving him, with a quizzical look on his face saying, Get over yourselves. Or he's sitting here wondering why I'm getting so metaphysical and metaphorical and sentimental. But it's because I'm human, all right, Terry? Surely you know that, you philosopher, you. (laughs) But you know, if he could do that, I could imagine him just sitting there saying something like, Oh, get over yourself. I tell you what, it's much easier when you don't have a body that produces chemicals, that produces emotions, so you feel upset. You should try it one day. We will, Terry. We've got no choice, but never mind. (laughs) This is how I've managed to get over it, I guess, by imagining him doing that. But it's quite easy to imagine him doing that, because that's the sort of stuff that he wrote into his books all the time, or he mentioned in interviews, or whatever. So it's a sad time. It's a sombre time. And we're all fragile and shaken up by it. But because of the specific man in question, because of his works and because of his humour... Because of his philosophizing on the world and the metaphors he had, and all these various things, it's also been quite easy, quite natural for me to come up with this humorous way to get over it. And that's how humans deal with things, too. We find ways to get over it. Most of them are humorous. And thanks to him, I found an easy one, which is that. I just imagine him, probably also rolling his eyes if he ended up getting to heaven... To quote Douglas Adams, if he got to heaven, he'd be bloody annoyed. I think Terry would be exactly the same, if there is a heaven. (laughs) Again, we don't know, and until there's an amazing scientific breakthrough, or indeed, we die as well, we'll never know. Sorry to get a bit morbid there, but also, it's a fact. I could just imagine him doing something like that, so that's how I've gotten over it, in a way. But I'd better find a point to this, I think. And I hope I don't go and make it about myself, which I find so many people do when somebody passes away, but never mind, we'll see. So anyway, I might have mentioned this a few times on the podcast, that for most of my education, until I started university, I was home-educated. I didn't have, quote-unquote, a conventional education. I was quite lonely when I think back to it, until I found uh, the drama school that I went to for seven years, and absolutely loved it, and discovered that I can actually pursue this acting thing as a career, and which is what I'm doing at university. But never mind. I'd go into the library and I would find all these various different things to, one, entertain me, but probably, two, give me a bit of company. And that included, you know, Star Wars DVDs, Batman comics, Artemis Fowl books by Oman Kolfa, which are very good books, you know, and lots of other various different things, most of them quite science fiction Also, Monty Python DVDs, etc., which is why the librarian said, Okay, I've noticed you get a lot of science fiction, fantasy stuff, and a fair bit of humorous stuff. British humor, specifically. Try this. And this was a big collection of cassette tapes, because, believe it or not, we were still able to play those. And the librarian must have noticed I would borrowed a few other audiobooks on cassette. And on the cover was this weird-looking goblin thing dressed as a devil, and a lot of smoke everywhere, and lots of confusing stuff, really. But as it turned out, it was Eric, read by Stephen Briggs. And so I played that, and uh, I absolutely loved it. I had already kind of fallen in love with audiobooks by then, and I thought, this is acting and reading books at the same time. Exhilarating, you know, it's good fun. Especially when the readers do the voices for characters, like the Mac, Mac Fiegels, you know. Oh, Crivens, What is it, Rob? Oh, the snow, you know. I find that very entertaining. And quite fun to attempt, too, even though I haven't really done it myself. But that is where I discovered Terry, and also... The people that came along with him, like Stephen Briggs. And then I eventually got into his world, and then his world. As in the world of Terry Pratchett and the people who helped create his world. Notice the capitalization of his there. I had uh, discovered Terry Pratchett, and then I discovered the world he'd invented. With a few other people. Quite a few other people. I had discovered this weird, amazing, curious, hilarious all-round fantastic thing and when I first listened to it I'll be honest I mainly was in it laughing at the slapstick things like uh the bird in Eric it might have a name but I've actually forgotten it at the moment you know all the various things all you know the luggage knocking things over I didn't get the philosophy that was in there the parodies I got some of the parodies of um Troy and stuff like that but I didn't get all of the nuances that were in there until I eventually heard it about uh, 50 times. <laughs> Not quite. and read it quite a few times after that because when I found it in book form, I thought it was time I gave it a go just to read. By then I'd heard... Oh, who was it? Nigel Planer, I think, read Color of Magic. And then I found out that Tony Robertson, who I loved from Blackadder and uh, Time Team, which my family watched quite regularly at the time. And so I discovered... All these amazing people were connected to this amazing world, too, and I was blown away by it. And I started loving it more and more and consuming more books and audio books, etc. And uh, I started going through chronologically, because that's how I read Discworld. Unless it's set out, stated, obviously, that it's a prequel, like Strata. Unless it's stated that it fits in this specific time, then I read it in the order that it's published. That's just how I read Discworld. And in that time, I suppose I just started laughing a lot more. My sense of humor started growing more. Although that said, it was quite big because I love Monty Python and Faulty Towers. I suppose it was quite British-centric. But still, it started getting weirder now because of all the magical and then the humorous combined. That was very funny and very good. This was all happening at the same time as I was starting my, dare I mention it, Doctor Who podcast. I know people get annoyed when I mention Doctor Who But that is part of the history of this show I've got to admit (laughs) I was starting my podcasts, my Doctor Who ones And listening to a lot of other ones A number of them had Graham on there And I discovered that he was a Pratchett fan as well And so was David Keep from Professor Dave's Ark in Space, and I'm sure a number of you have heard this story before, so I'll be quick. But basically, Professor Dave's Ark in Space started before 2012 with that whole myth of the whole uh, Mayan calendar ending and the world ending. So what Dave decided to do was get a few friends together, and then a guest every now and again, to talk about TV shows, authors, movies, film directors, uh, poets, musicians artists, paintings, etc., basically an archive of human history in art form, which one should be saved or left for the end of the world, seeing as it's still going, the show's still going, he's obviously postponed that to whenever the world actually ends, we still need to know what we're going to save, but anyway, both Graham and I separately were emailing him saying we should do a Pratchett episode of your show, and Dave's response every time we suggested it was, oh... Yes, that's a great idea. I'm a big Pratchett fan. But there's so much of it. And so we were all going, yeah, true. Uh could we look at just maybe hmm the first book or maybe uh standalone books in the series? I don't know. Or maybe just uh, the watch or maybe oh what can we do? Oh we could look at the screen adaptations. And then maybe we could compare it to the books. So we look at the book and the screen adaptation. And so, you know, it was getting confusing. And then if we did it for each screen adaptation, that would be three episodes that Graham and I guessed on there together for. So he was just thinking, you know, we would want to go in depth, but we couldn't really because of the length of the episode. And then that will be quite a few episodes with guests on, and logistically it was a nightmare. So Graham said, hmm, Reese, you're a big fan, I'm a big fan. Let's do a Pratchett podcast. And here we are. So the more fans are found the more I got into it, too. And then the older I got, the more I understood from Terry, too. And then I discovered not just his works, but also the various things that he's doing around the world and to do with people. And this is where I go into that tribute that I wrote on Facebook and then kind of shared into the uh, Watch page, slash the Pratchett Podcast Facebook page. I said, My heart breaks to say these words. Rest in peace, Sir Terry Pratchett. Thank you for your humour and your imagination your creativity, and compassion and work to protect and nurture orangutans. And I hope your passing at the hands of a disease which caused you to suffer helps prove your point to legalise assisted death. No one has to or should suffer before they die if they do not want to and have chosen not to. Farewell, good sir. You may have left this world, but you could possibly be living in the one you gifted the world in your books with more power than even the gods you wrote about, who play games with the lives of the people in that world. Your imagination is no longer hindered by a brain which, sadly, decided to fail you. You are free to write whatever and however much of it you wish to write. It was an honour to have you in this world and to read your works. So those were my thoughts at the time and they still are now. I still am grateful for his works, and always will be, but I definitely still support his want to protect the habitats and the lives and the well-being of the orangutans, and I also approve, although I see both sides of the argument, of wanting to legalise assisted suicide where it isn't legal. I think that we should legalise it, but also have precautions, because obviously somebody who isn't right in their mind could say they would like to end it now, then the next day feel like they've changed their mind. So professionals in the area, you know, psychologists, etc., people who are aware of how the human brain works, or people who are studying Alzheimer's and the various effects that it has, or whatever disease it is that might cause them to think differently the next day than they do this day. Even depression, you feel that way. I know this. But I would like to have it legalised, but with a lot of precautions. Even do it like they did it in the documentary that Terry did, where the nurses kept asking the man, are you sure? Have you changed your mind? Would you really like to do it today? And They asked his wife if she was comfortable with it, etc. And those are obvious precautions right then and there, but also have backup ones, or like a psychiatrist that they could talk to straight away if they feel that way. But anyway, that's a discussion for another time. This is a tribute to Terry Pratchett. And I think, to be honest, I've stolen the limelight for long enough, which I shouldn't do for any longer. And I think there isn't much else to say other than this. On behalf of myself, on behalf of Stephen Briggs and Nigel Planer and Tony Robinson, Josh Kirby, Paul Kidby, Neil Gaiman, Stephen Baxter, the cast and crews of the TV adaptations, thank you for your imagination, opportunities to work and be creative and be inspired, your incredible philosophies, everything. Just thank you, Terry. Thank you very much. I suppose, listeners, new and old, that's it for me until next time. And to Sir Terry, farewell, good sir.
1: Oh, thanks once again, Therese. Uh, seems to be getting on well with this uh, university stuff. So, next up, I've got petter Better write, I've been a fan of Sir Terry's Discworld for over 20 years now. I was waking up on March the 13th here in Australia uh, when I read the news on my phone. The news we'd all been dreading, but new was coming. Our lovely Discworld creator passed away, but I'm sure, like all his huge following of fans, I burst into tears. I had to go to work, but I didn't feel like working. It's taken me a long time to pick up a Discworld book because I didn't feel like reading straight away, but I have recently and it feels like home. So there's so many friends on my Facebook that are fans and we've briefed together. Now it's time to remember him, like he was. I met the Jolly Man in twenty eleven. Um pass on the reading and the next generation and keep those ripples going. GNU Sateri Petra or Petra Pegs. So Thank you, Peter. And um, a little bit of news. Um, The release date of the final book. I'm not sure it's gonna be final, but um, the last one written um, is uh, in September. The Shepherd's Crown, which is the final Tiffany Aching um, book is being released in early September. So, uh, once we've got more news, I'll let you know here. So, that's it for this long intro for episode 34. And uh, carrying on with the main podcast. Bye for now. This is the Project Podcast, episode 34. 34, 34, 34. Hmm. That sounds familiar. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another Pratchett Podcast, episode 34, with me, Graham. Now, it's a bit of a busy month again, so I will be diving directly into the news. Times! Times, get your more pop times. Times, get your ankle pop times. Well, one piece of news for this time. And each I got even bump for the hand this time, which is nice. So, the Long Mars, which is already out in hardback and in audio. Now, the Paperback, which will be published by Corgi, will be released on the ninth of April. UK price of seven ninety nine. Okay, so if you want to get it, it's in a well. The format is the what I call airport size, which is not the the usual small um, size that you get from, from normal paperbacks. It's the proper bigger airport stroke. Um, what would happen if you took a hardback and just put a softback cover on it sort of size so like i say that's out on the night of april now i'm really going to push through and straight into lots of you lovely new recruits welcome to the watch sergeant detritus over there will swear you in detritus yes mr vines And, as my favourite doctor would say, Oh, my giddy aunt, there's another long list. So, please bear with me as it starts. And as I stumble along, lots and lots of names, because they're just not within my... I apologise for a start. But, uh... Kiatan Scare. Mark Brooks. Ikuto Tsukiyomi not very good at Jap- uh, Japanese, I'm, I do apologise. Um Brian Zoll-Lex Donovan, Aria Cardiff, Daniela Boneva, Sean Hodnett, Steve Wagnall, Sheila McClung, Adol Ritzik. Uh, David Daynard, Drew Smith, da- oh, this is going to be... Dawala Ga Dawala Ga is what I'd say, but you can correct me if that, so you know, send it along to the email address James Eyre, Ken D. Williams, Mohammed Ono Susanna Steenson Raven, Lou Gasper, uh, Raju Yossandra, Bonjour. He's one of our French, well, according to his profiles, he's French. That's brilliant. Hey, you got French listeners. Hey, getting definitely more multicultural. I like that. So, <clears throat> carrying on. John Morton. David Engen. Bill Crompton. I misread his name, first of all. I thought we had a, a vampire Bill from, from True Blood turn up. But no, it's Bill Crompton. and Bill Crompton. So Sorry, Bill. <clears throat> now it's getting really complicated. Taka Sabako hmm Grain Timms. Il Patalo. Or Il Patalo. I'd roughly guess that one. Naomi Suzuki. Ian Cofield. Emma Hudson. Hugh Cooney. Juan Carlos Sarguero. I think. <clears throat> Uh, Janine Benham, Jennifer Cannon, Tony Temska, Julian Joyce, a Tommy Pratchett, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Thomas Whiteside, Geoffrey Evans, Pete John, Olga Panina, Robert Shannon. So into the end stretch, Nick Krakawa. Benedict Pulain, a very oddly named one of the few, one of and the few as two separate names. Jen Ridley. P. J. Rekatsip. Nimue Dragonborn. Camille Ks- I say Spiel, C Z E P I E L. Ivan Prandoshev, and last but not least Tracy Harris who joined last night. So if you want to join The Watch or be one of the members of the Facebook group, just if you're a member of Facebook, not everybody likes it I know, but if you're a member of Facebook, there's the Facebook group which you can join and that uh, you just tip into the little search fields wherever it is on the, uh, on the app it's down at the bottom uh, on the main page of the uh, proper site if you're on your laptop or you're on your main computer uh, it's right at the top there's like a little um, magnifying glass for searching so yes that's uh, that's it for this time run for the watch and shall we moving on to Collins claxes I think he's alone this time. Clax, so this one, an answer from Colin uh, to a post he made on the Discworld Monthly Facebook page uh, relating to fandoms, uh, which started, uh, but started with which is a better Potter. Which is better? Uh, yeah, right. This this started basically uh, on I think it was the Discworld's monthly Facebook. Yes, it's Discworld monthly Facebook group. As I just said, I need to improve this memory. <clears throat> um, now it was just a question: which which did people find better, Potter or Discworld? Hmm. Yeah, D world. The D W meaning Discworld this time, no, not Doctor Who. So hi folks this was grabbed off the of the discworld monthly facebook page we're actually having a discussion about the book see about book series instead of the more usual ones normally about bacon ducks and dancing turtles that's the the discworld monthly facebook group at the moment uh it's very sort of well it's a lot of bacon a lot of ducks and you know if there's turtle we post it there it gets somewhat silly at times but and uh <clears throat> i carry on so Someone could not see why we have to pit series against each other to see which is better. Things got a little heated in a nice way. Cushions were thrown. Kittens may have been threatened. I went on a mini rant which included how Sir Terry has influenced a lot of my reading over the past 20 years. And also how about uh, a roundabout way I ended up on the Doctor Who monthly to have an argument in the first place. People who just say something is crap because they don't like, uh, they don't, don't like, mm. okay, I'll try and reread this. People who say something is crap just because they don't like it, I suppose, annoy me, Uh, annoy, yeah, I think it was missing. There is a lot uh, that's in Doctor Who fandom, clearly wrote DW out of habit. There's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, I agree with that Colin. There is a lot of it in, in Doctor Who. I do not see how people can be fans of something uh something when a large part of it is, to their minds, rubbish. Anyway, back to positivity. It is interesting how some of life's threads work out. Also, Sir Terry has arguably influenced a very large part of my book reading. I don't really read fantasy. It has never appealed to me. But someone gave me a copy of The Colour of Magic to read. Shortly afterwards, I devoured all the books in my local library. I hope you had a bit of catch-up with that, Colin. <clears throat> I continue. He pub- had only published uh, ten books at the time. Next to Pratchett uh, was the book by W. Pope, who wrote the uh, Ramage series. Historical naval fiction. W. Pope led to Alexander Kent and to C.S. Forrester then to Bernard Cornwell, and a whole interest in military and naval history. No, still no fantasy. Of course, I have personally redefined what is fantasy. Arguably, I'm here due to Harry Potter. Here's the thread. It was on a Harry Potter website in 2005 that I first saw the, the, the word podcast. Three years later... I had the bright idea of typing Doctor Who into iTunes to see if there were any podcasts. There were a few <clears throat> hundred. That led to listening to uh, that led to listening to Doctor Who podchuck for a couple of years. Upon which, another podcast was heavily advertised: the Cultum Collective, a Doctor Who and general science fiction show. As that's friends of mine, uh, Dave and. Ian, who do the cultum collective it can go into quite um <laughs> well i go on a bit of a disconnectedness the show there can really become disconnected it's quite fun to listen to so if you want to go listen to that i will warn you the audio quality is not um all that brilliant because it is a live show it is always a live show well they do do one or two uh commentaries to films or particular Doctor Who episodes but the show that's generally recorded on a Sunday uh, at two, I think it's 2pm uh, at the moment it'll be 1pm I'm not sure but it's it's about 6 o'clock my time so 5 o'clock UK time depending on what the in fact I'm wrong about that I've lost track there 7 or 8pm it's rough with that. We're on daylight savings times in the United States and everybody else is still in winter time, so at the moment it's a bit confusing. So mm, please excuse me. Anyway, I'm getting back here. I think they did attempt a Terry Pratchett show. <clears throat> yes, they did. A few more years later, Graham was starting a Sir Terry Pratchett podcast because no one else had. Yes, it was. Um, that came because uh, I suggested it to a friend of mine. And he suggested it was far too big a theme for him to cover one show. And I just said, well, you could just do a DVD of the, you know, no, it's just too big a thing. Why don't you do it? So me and Reese started the podcast and it's been laid at my feet at the moment. Anyways, the other way to easily participate uh, in this was on a Facebook group. So I belatedly joined and finally found the group. Where to start with this one? Hmm. So that was the uh, I think that was it. That was the um the first part. So first part of Colin's Clutchus, which we'll call it when it's just Colin. I think. And now it's Colin's review of Jingo. Nope. Nightwatch? Nope. The Lost Continent. Oh yes, yes, definitely last continent, right? Okay. Where to start with this fun? Best to do it chronologically, uh, as as uh, one which would say. I think uh, this book came out in nineteen ninety eight. After what appeared to have been a bit of a dull period of the Discworld novels, not that recent books have been bad, but they'd not been a laugh out loud. They'd not been laugh out loud funny so imagine my expectations when a book purporting to take the what's it out of Australia even though uh, this is denied on the front cover for those who don't know Colin says I am from New Zealand and we love to take the what's it out of Australia or Australians and Vicky Berker this goes up to the national news so you see some interesting articles it would be like like the BBC suddenly making fun of, pick a country at random there, uh, the French. And it is mostly good-natured. There was an Aussie sketch programme in the late 1980s called the Comedian Com- uh, the Comedy Company. Have a look for that on YouTube. Uh, that often included sketches taking the what's-it out of those Kiwis. So the last continent seemed to be a manna from heaven. I think that's a very Kiwi thing to say, hey, mm. possibly, but maybe uh, Nikita, yeah, Nikita uh, there's a couple of, uh, there's a couple of Kiwis that probably can give a few jokes to that, <clears throat> anyway, I carry on, and it was brilliant, hilarious, funniest book for ages, five out of five, on the first read, on the second read a couple of years later, Everything sort of fell rather well flat and I realized, joking uh, joking aside, I did not get this book. What is it actually about? The plot itself did not make sense. I had a similar problem with Weird Sisters for years. Yes, Colin, join the club. So I rarely so rarely for a Patrick novel, I downgraded from a five point five to a two point five three at the best. That's down at sorcery or small gods level. I think you're being very, very, very gracious to small gods on anyways. And thus it continued for years. I don't think it read again. I read it again until now, but I listen to it on audio relatively often. He's put a little star. In fact, I'm pretty sure I listened to it while flying over Australia this is easy to do. It takes a long time to fly over Australia. Okay, so that was one. He put a footnote in there. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Doing some Terry thing. Anyway, getting back. This, of course, does not mean it was complete a complete write-off, or even bad, or rather not as good as books, which are great passages. I love the wizardly interplay, this time with the addition of Mrs Whitlow to stir them up. Especially the senior wrangler with his cries of "Mwaah!" I love the idea of the god of evolution. Uh, Taken at face value, this is fine. But as soon as you start to uh, think about it, you suddenly realise the lunacy of this concept. He's a great minor character. I love his uh, his worship of the description of an elephant split in half, but not in a messy way. But as Red Cully says, perhaps the wheels were a mistake. And so this rereading, as mentioned, is probably the first time I've read the book in over 10 years. And reading is a different experience to audio. Well, I agree with that. In some ways, it was like a new book. The The concepts fell into place and probably for the first time. The entire plot makes sense. And has remained making sense, unlike Weird Sisters, the end of which I can only explain to uh, people for about 24 hours after finishing the book. Uh, the jokes were funny, and not just the ones taking the What's It out of Australia. I'll mention this later when my, I get onto my part of the review. The characters were well developed and recognised. I suspect I am still missing a few subtle concepts as my Australian history is sketchy. As it is, uh, as is my New Zealand history, for that matter, British history. I'm quite good at, so I love it when Terry pops uh, something into one of his books. If you don't realise what a minor character name means, it doesn't matter. If you do, it's a bonus. So, in conclusion, I put this book down as one of the most improved ones on this reread. It's a solid four out of five. However, I have not yet worked out why the Arch Chancellor of Bugrup University. Is called Bill Rincewind. I suspect some significance, but what the significance is? Um, Australia, as you may know, was a penal colony, so there were bound to be some relatives that got shipped off. Quite possibly. So yes. So, cheers, Colin. So if you want to write in. You can do it one of two ways. The first is writing to me at PratchettPodcast at gmail.com That's one word. PratchettPodcast at gmail.com Or you can send me a message. Oh, there's three ways. There's three ways you can send me. I'm not getting into Monty Python. But um, yes, you can... over Facebook is the other way. Uh, which splits itself into two ways. You can either you can uh, write me a message um, if you're not a friend of mine if you click on my profile you still can send me a message or you could actually leave a feedback thing on the Facebook group I will see this and I will include it into the document for the next time around so that said and this segment coming to an end, I shall now move on to something we haven't for a while, had for a long while. It's the Fool's Guild! <laughs> So, this time around, the Fool's Guild. Now, Fool's Guild, I shall be reviewing two things for the Fool's Guild. Uh, it's been a long time since I've uh, reviewed a book. Unfortunately, I couldn't do it on publication uh, due to not actually be able to get hold of the audio version or the book version originally. But things have changed a little and I uh, have been able to get hold of the book version. Of the Long Mars, but first of all, good omens. Now, good omens—not the book, but the BBC Radio Four dramatization. Now, it was put out uh, just before Christmas, and the first episode starting on uh, Monday, the twenty-second of December, and going all the way—excuse me—through to um, what was it? internet was a bit better uh, saturday the 27th of december so practically every day one episode um, now the basically it takes it part it's a six parter of the record uh, the recording was a six parter and um it's basically it's for me good omen is one of these books i do still have problems with um it gets a little over complicated in places and the audio uh, play here, the radio play is somewhat simplified. Now, uh, some of the people that you may uh, recognize um, <clears throat> from the names here uh Mark Heap and uh, Peter Serafolinski, a Polish name. Now, uh, Peter, you may rec well, you're, I'm not sure you'll recognize now, anybody who's seen Shaun of the Dead. That's the flatmate uh, who comes bursting in because they're drunk and they're playing 80s, no, not 80s, end of the 80s, 90s uh, electronic stuff very loudly. And, of course, it's the flatmate who gets, who gets—he's uh, he's unbitten so he turns into a zombie himself. So that's that's Peter Salarensky. Uh Other names are Nicholas Briggs. It's Mr. Dalek Face himself doing well what he does best basically voices Um that's the guy who runs big finish which is the doctor who um, audio plays with the original uh, doctors from tom baker all the way up to at the moment uh, the eighth doctor and so we have from tom baker all the way up to oh, my name and the name he skates me hmm. yeah that's good anyway the eighth doctor uh, and there are subsequent series uh being produced. Now, anybody who's seen the recent series, the Doctor Who I'm sidetracking, I know. Um, will I have known of the Brigadier's daughter, uh Kate Les Stewart, or Kate Stewart as she likes to be called, so she's not relying on her father's name. Um there's a new series of audios coming out with her. In a role, so which might mean that New Who is now being opened up for recording with Big Finish. Anyway, I digress. Now, there's a, a lot of names don't uh, spring to the fourth with me, apart from Patterson Joseph, who plays one of the apocalyptic horse persons. He plays Famine. Patterson Joseph, another Doctor Who connection, yes, he was rumoured to be the next Doctor Who twice. Uh, ended up being Matt Smith and then Peter Capaldi. But uh, also other names you, uh, names you may recognise, depending if you're from the UK or not. Josie Lawrence, who you may recognise, uh, um, whose line is it anyway? And a lot of um, sort of improvised comedy. She's very well known for it. Clive Russell. And one that's really boomed in my ears because I know this guy's voice so well is Simon Jones's Mr Young. Although he plays the father of uh, the, well, the child of the devil character. Um, Simon Jones, you may know from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio plays and television series and the film. Well, you say where is, he? Where is Simon Jones in the film and Hitchhiker's. Well, you get the warning as they're just about to uh, go to the planet builder's planet and the face that pops up. Um before Slarty Bartfast um is Simon Jones. Simon Jones is the warning from the planet of Golgefrinchum. So I think it's Golgafrinchem anyway. I digress. Other names you may recognise, such as Mitch Ben. Uh, Mitch Ben is known for being on um the one of the Friday night comedy programmes, the Now Show on BBC Radio 4 which is available as podcasts, uh, depending on which season season. It's either that or the uh, the news quiz. And I think that's about, about it for the list of people who recognise it. So that's the people in it. So as to the, uh, the actual Ready Play itself, it's produced in a very sort of hitchhiker's sort of style, I would say. And uh, it is rather good uh characters it does zoom at quite a pace i will warn you I mean, okay the book is not particularly long but this does go at an absolute pace so um any of you guys who actually do the um listen to this sort of stuff on your on your ipods or your uh android um devices and you listen at one and a half stroke two times then i say take the time reduce the uh the speed to normal at one times i listen to i said i myself listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks and i listen to them mostly at one and a half or two times so i can listen to more and get through the night uh, a lot better when i work so uh, i recommend slow down uh, as far as the dramatization goes uh, it simplifies things to me so i actually understand the storyline at last uh as to points um hmm yes a, a bit of an odd one it's, it's three and a half points going towards four out of five oops and this has also been uh the producer's dirk Max and dirk Max has produced a lot of uh, stuff including doctor who um audios and the like so the the production is fantastic and if you want to get hold of this then this cd uh, i think it's either been released or uh it's just about to be released um and you can get that from the bbc uh shop um you get that from the bbc shop shop online which is i think it's actually called bbc shop um uh, price which i'll look up live i should have done this beforehand i know i apologize um is £12.99 for the episodes, uh, which I suspect will be a th- it's either three. If it's not an MP3 CD, then it should be a three disc set with two episodes. They're half an hour each on that, and they do get a hell of a pace, so I do recommend that. Now, getting on to the next part of the Fool's Guild, I will be moving on to the Along Mars book. Short review. The long review I shall do when we get onto it uh, as one of the uh, seventh week or the seventh week or seventh month episodes. Uh, Every six six weeks, I do a Discworld, but I may be later expanding that out as the books start getting thin in the ground and I've still got a ton of non-Discworld books to cover. Uh, But they'll be covered uh, later in full. Now, the uh, Long Earth... um, is in uh, give you the short off the back of the book, the long e- earth is in chaos. Uh, the cas- cataclysmic aftermath of the Yellowstone eruption is shutting civilization down as populations flee to the relative safety of stepwise earths. Sally Lindsay, Joshua Valiente, and Lobsang do what they can to assist the clean cleanup. But Joshua is called to a crisis closer to home, a new. A newly emergent breed of young, super-bright post-humans threaten the status quo of normal human society and violent confrontation seems inevitable. And now Sally has been contacted by her long-vanished father, Willis Lindsay, the maverick inventor of the original stepper device. He is planning a fantastic voyage and wants her to join him. So what's his true motivation? So that's the month for the back of the book to give you the idea of what it's like. So... Of the three books, so we have The Long Earth, The Long War and now The Long Mars. This is the best of the three so far by a long shot. Uh, You have practically uh, three to four storylines carrying on at the same time. So the complications that I found The Long War a relatively complicated book due to the fact that it's... It's basically had tendrils all over the place. It's like um, trying to battle Cthulhu, really. Uh, once, you're th- once you're sort of getting clear with one storyline, then the other storyline appears from nowhere and clacks you on the back of the head. I found the previous book extremely complicated on a couple of reads, and it's no better in audio either. But The Long Mars, as of all the three books, I can actually say I can recommend this one um the storylines uh they're basically you have sort of the, the first two storylines basically um dry not well, i say dry up but they um they they get basically thinned out fairly early so you in the whole just have to concentrate on two storylines um one I'll call one about the next which is the um the, the new upcoming versions of humankind are uh, basically the next step in the evolution and then the whole thing with the Mars story. And the Mars story, OK, itself has roughly two storylines going um, at the same time, but it's all contained within the Mars thing. So that's all sort of self-contained. Um. I would say it sort of describes the book itself um, when we're talking about the next itself talks about uh, humankind's that I say the next I say it in, in two parts. So the next itself, um, um, the storyline around them is actually pretty accurate. Um, Let's say human history is littered with what happens with the them, or the next, sorry, uh, the next. And uh, you really need to read the book to see what actually uh, goes on with them. Uh, as to the Mars side, that's the other part of human, uh, the adventurer, the 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 trying to get around the sort of um, the difficulties. It's, it's like, if you... If, thinking about the way that thing we're looking at going to Mars at the moment and the way that the moon landings were done in the past. And, um, you know, if you can speed things up, it's all the better, really. Uh, you, know, if you can speed things out without being dangerous. So this goes into a bit of what is actually being, um, talked about at the moment, uh, about landing on Mars and what you actually need. Um, although, uh, the Martian by Andy Weir. I would say uh, is probably a better book for that. And as to what they would really be looking at at the moment. Um, as to Mars landings and and the like. Uh, but as far as long Mars goes. Um, it takes the, the sort of the idea of Mars. Of the long Earth. And uh, it expands on that uh, with Mars. So um, I'm not going to spoil the book as such. Um That's my sort of short review of this. The longer review will come, obviously, later, once I have gone through the long Earth, which is okay, and the long wars, which was overcomplicated. The long Mars, I can recommend. Um, It's actually a very good book. Things are starting to make sense. Not for everybody, I suppose. Um, But for me, it's at the moment, it's... it's, At this moment, I'll do a Colin on this one. Uh, At this reading, it's a four out of five. So, now as we're getting into extreme length, and I've yet to start on the last continent, we shall go into book review time. So, buck after the bells. Against the stars, a turtle passes carrying four elephants on its shell. Both turtle and elephants are bigger than people might expect. But out between the stars, the difference between huge and tiny is comparatively speaking very small. But this turtle and these elephants are by turtle and elephant standards big. They carry the disk world with its vast lands, cloudscapes, and oceans. People don't live on the disk any more than in less-handed, crafted parts of the multiverse. They live on balls. <clears throat> oh, planets. Maybe the place where their body eats its tea, but they live elsewhere, in the world of their own, which they orbit very handily around the centre of their heads. When gods get together, they tell the story of one particular planet whose inhabitants watched with mild interest huge continent wrecking slabs of ice slap into another world which was in astronomical terms right next door and then they did nothing about it because this sort of thing only happens in outer space and intelligent species would at least have found something to complain to anyway no one seriously believes in that story because a race quite that stupid would never have been discovered. Slewed. People believe in all sorts of things. Though. For example, there are some people who have a legend that the whole universe is carried in a leather bag by an old man. They're right to. The other people say, hold on, if he's carried the entire universe in a sack, right, that means he's carrying himself inside the sack because the universe contains everything, including him and the sack, of course, which contains him and the sack already, as it were. To which the reply is, well, all tribal myths are true for a given value of true it is generally the test of an omnipotence of a God that they can see the fall of a tiny bird but the only one God makes notes and few adjustments so the next time it can fall faster and further we may find out why we may find out why mankind is here although that is more complicated and begs the question where else should we be it would be terrible to think that some impatient deity might part the clouds and say, Damn! Are you lot still there? I thought you discovered slew 10,000 years ago. I've got 10 trentalli- trillion tons of ice arriving on Monday. We may even find out why the duck-pilled platypus. So... That was the reading. Sorry, I was tripping over my words again. Now, The Last Continent. Now, he says now for another time. <clears throat> little interruption. The Last Continent is the 22nd Discworld novel. It was first published as was mentioned previously by colin in 1998 it marks the aspects of time travel as such as the grandfather paradox and the ray Bradbury short stories the sound of thunder just for a background it also parodies much of what well they say uh, they say australian people and australian culture crocodile dundee was an american film so it doesn't really parody that much of the australian people and australian culture in that much of a sense but there are the sort of the things uh, to carry on which'll carry on with the themes in a second. Um, just to say that the uh, it was really published by Double day in London and the ISBN if you want to go looking for it under the ISBN number is zero three eight five four zero nine eight nine three now. Getting onto the uh, sort of the story part of this, this may get a little bit spoilery, but it's yeah, it's not spoilery. Um, now the things that have been parodied, this I'll bring up as as the first part. The um, things like uh, the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the film, uh, which I don't think it actually had been out at that time. I'm sure looks this up for you. Um, I was quite sure it came, the actual came later um, it, Oh no, it was 1994 I was wrong Never mind, happens now again. again uh, The Mad Max fu- uh, movies uh, The Australian Beer 4X Where the, the name actually comes from uh, 4X is basically Not even drunk in Australia It's mainly, mostly exported Other things I parodied uh, uh, <laughs> The funny thing that Rinswind himself uh basically comes up with Vegemite, which is like Marmite in UK. UK. Uh, they also have things like th- uh, thongs for the feet, uh, thongs, thongs. Uh, I thought flip-flops, I think, was the other thing. Yeah, flip-flops as well, as uh, he kept wearing his out. Cork hats. Uh, the Peach Melba, um, which is... Um, Peach Melba is an Australian... Um, dessert it was named I think it was named after an opera singer I may be wrong um, also popular Australian songs uh, such as uh, well I say popular uh, not popular anymore you can ask any Australian about that um, but uh, Walls. you know in, in, in the sort of the rabbit ears thing Walty Matilda and Down Under um now, uh, getting back to Peach Melba. Peach Melba is a dessert of peaches and raspberry sauce with a vanilla ice cream invented in 19, uh, 1892 or 1893 by French chef Auguste Escoffier at the Savoy uh, Hotel in London uh, to honour the Australian soprano Nellie Melba. So there we have the sort of, sort of quick behind of that. Uh... And it really is a book that really just gets into the day the, and sort of really into sort of every Australian cliche you can think about. It happens in this book. Um, the book is basically in two storylines. Uh, the one is uh, the librarian who is ill, who, when he sneezes, keeps changing his shape, uh, even though he likes being an orangutan. And then there is... Um, The storyline with Rintwind, which is basically goes into the sort of Aborigine um, story side of things. Um, The the, the tales, the Aborigine tales, uh, which I've tried to watch some of them, uh, some of the sort of stuff that was produced as a film, which made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And this, Soteri must have seen this film himself because um, it does get into that sort of real egregious territory. Um, Now we have uh, other characters in the book, uh, a magical kangaroo called Scrappy, um, who keeps uh, uh, popping here and there. Uh, The Scrappy sort of explains that there's no such thing as rain as well in Australia. Uh, they all get it from the, where does the water come from when they're just bringing it up out of the ground? Uh, you have also on the widow uh, side, the, the, winter, winter uh, the arch chancellor, the dean, the bursar, the chair of internet studies, lecturer in recent runes, the senior ranger and Ponder Stibbons, along uh, with Mrs. Whitlow, uh, are on a journey to try and find a rinse wind. Uh, this basically starts as they try and find uh, the one professor of uh, of uh, dangerous geography. Uh, something along the lines of dangerous geography, anyway. Or interesting dangerous... Uh, cruel, un- unusual geography is the word I'm looking for. That was it. Um, but The professor himself seems to have disappeared. And that's where they st- start there. Uh, also, uh along the ways, yes, they meet the uh, creator of uh, evolution. So now we're starting to get into the um, the Darwin side of things. Um, yeah, Darwin started roughly at the Cook Islands and then later went on to the uh, uh, onto Australia and um, New Zealand and. It's, it's just part of the joke in uh, Australia is um, Australia is the only planet, uh, the only place on planet Earth where uh, they don't really have a large amount of snake, snakes, basically because the spiders are more dangerous. And that is really take to heart for a large part. Um, uh, there's a lot of things uh, to the theory of evolution as well, taking into into Into, well, in consideration, that's what we're looking for. Uh, That's also taken into consideration. And uh, uh, sometimes it is a really hard book to actually review and provide you with anything sort of logical or something for for you to have in the hands. Because the book is, it's, I went through it at least, I read it, I read it first, and then I went into the audio book version, which is still being read by Nigel Plain at this point. And as well as it being a good story, you sit at the end and you think, as Colin said, what is it actually about? Apart from the journey of... uh, because Rintwins the only person who knows the real name of the librarian, and the librarian doesn't want to um, give his real name out. Rintwins the only other person that knows his real name, and the only thing I can see as the the main storyline in this book is that the um, that the li- uh, that's they're after Rintwins, so they can uh, basically get the librarian back to his normal uh, orangutan form. And to bring Brinsford back, basically, because he's the only person who knows the the, the, the name of the librarian. That's the only sort of sensible part of the plot. Everything else basically goes into um, I won't say it was do you know. I'll put it this way: somebody who's on drugs might be able to make better sense of the book as a whole in parts the book in parts makes sense on their own but the fact that you've got the um, stray was originally uh, apart from the aboriginals made as a penal colony so you've got this sort of the thieves things going in the background about the famous australian um, robbers and murderers and uh, apparently famous australian slang That doesn't quite make sense. You know, uh, no worries comes up an awful lot in the book. You might get annoyed by this, I shall forewarn you. But to be quite honest, um, it's like Column with Weird Sisters. Give it 24 hours and I've sort of relatively lost the point of what I want to say about the book. It's basically, you've got every sort of um, thing that people would say, every sort of, I won't say bad, but everything that they say about Australia, that, uh, to be quite honest, what I know of Australia is not exactly true and things have progressed. All well, the politicians, I, I, I'm really sorry for your politicians down there. Um, I thought uh, George W. Bush looked bad when he was on TV. But anyways, I'm sidetracking. Um, but the sort of, the one word's failing me, I'm sorry about this. Um, I don't get on. I don't know about this book. I really don't. Parodies, but I say parodies, but it's not the, it's the parodies. It's, it's the sort of the, the, the preamble, whatever you say, ask anybody about Australia. What, what do you really think about Australia? What are your, uh, what things come to mind? And everything that comes to mind has been thrown in this book. Now, okay. I suppose uh, the Australian beer 4x was only it's only really known in Australia and the United Kingdom. And then in the United Kingdom, if I know the United Kingdom, like no United Kingdom, the beer has not been uh, been made in Australia. It's been made in the UK with UK water, which has probably got a few additives which you really don't want to think about to make it taste like it, the proper 4x. Um, yeah. It's, it stumps me. It's one of those books I can listen to, and I listen to from beginning to end, or I read it from beginning to end. I enjoy the book, yes, but as soon as I've finished it, I'm like, what did I just read? So it's very confusing. Hopefully next time round, I will not be confused um, as we're moving on to the next book of Carpe juglium So before I do that, um, what do I give it a st- Well, I don't know what to give I will leave points out of this for this book because I really don't know what to think I like the story but if I start thinking about it uh, in any sort of detail things only make sense in parts and everything which happens uh, to Rincewind until he actually uh, gets to where he wants to get to uh, make little or no sense whatsoever so um, the first part of the book, returning to the wizards, makes sense until they meet the god of evolution. And the book makes absolute perfect sense after they've got to bugger up until the end of the book. After that, everything makes a bit more sense. They're into some more familiar territory. Uh, it could be any town... Uh, anywhere on the on the disc uh, just with sort of slightly different attitude That's a sort of more positive attitude that is the one I'll say that before I finish um, it does actually uh, put the Australians there though as very sort of positive people you know that, that nothing is you know it's either uh, yeah they're very positive people as to their outlook on life that you know they just say no worries it's not a problem so I will give you that. That is the sort of thing you can take out of it. It does leave you with sort of the impression, um Terry probably seen, uh, sees the Australians as very positive people, that nothing's a problem. You know, Reese himself, a very, you know, I can say Reese himself, you've heard him. He's a very positive person. You know, he's a very sort of, you know, if he was British, you call him, or American, you call him the, the sunshine boy. But that's just the way uh, a lot of Australians are. So you can take that away from the book, from The Last Continent. But I say this time around, I will not give any points for it um, due to the fact that I wouldn't know how to mark it because I'd have to mark it in three places. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we'll do that. Mark it in three places. The uh, first part with the wizards, um, fun, great, um, so that'll be a nice four out of five. Uh, the middly parts we're, with rinse wind before it gets to bugger up. Um, I will give a washy two out of three because not a lot of it makes sense the first time round. And you really have to go through the book about three or four times before it sort of makes sort of sense. Um there are things that are, of course, different uh, in there because you don't actually have cars that run on petrol. So petrol is not the big commodity. It, the Mad Max or parody part um, straw is just to sort of give you a heads up. Uh, but the last part of the book, the last part of the book, then, then it returns to sort of the four out of five. So we're going four out of five, two out of five, four out of five. Ooks. So back onto positive things. Next time round, we will do, be doing uh, the Carpe Jugliem, which is, means we're back into witch territory um and this will be for me quite good because it's the one book that i know i've only gone through the once so it's going to take me i've got a german copy i have a english copy and i have my audiobook copy so uh yep catch you guys later now if you want to get hold of me listen to death at the end of this Sorry, it's been a long one um, but I was come to the realisation that the review of the last continent was starting to get jumbled, and the actual review for the logmars made uh, was longer. Mm, sorry about that. So, uh, like I say, next time round, copy jubliam, and here comes death where you can get hold of us. Bye for now. If you want to contact us, then you can try through the Facebook group, the Project Podcast. You can also get in contact over the email Podcast at gmail.com Also on Twitter the U U librarian He keeps saying ook all the time. Who knows why? <laughs>